the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thinking about health care these days? Well, you're not alone. And it seems that getting real information about the state of our medical system is tough to come by. That's why you've come to the right place with Dr. Bill, your radio MD. He's got the answers because he's a doctor. I said he's a doctor, and he wants to hear from you right now. 877-969-8600. This is AM860, The Answer. And now, it's time for Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD, coming at you on AM860, The Answer, 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Every Sunday, you can reach me worldwide on the web, drbillradiomd.com. Click Listen Live. Or if you have a headset hooked up to your computer, you can stream me uh, live over your computer. Oh, boy, lots of fun. Also, go to the radio station, and you can pick me up there. And we uh, archive the old shows, so you can pick those up as well. A lot of fun. Hey, guess what? The Mueller report is out. At least it's over, and Mueller has left the office. So now the Democrats are scrambling to try to save face over this, and it's going to be difficult. It's been two years of nonstop investigation, and basically it found no collusion whatsoever between the president, his campaign, and the Russians. And, of course, the Democrats are yelling that 37 or 8 people were indicted. Well, half of them were Russians who will never see the inside of a U.S. court or jail, and the others who have been indicted or have been implicated, they were essentially process crimes. That is, they had nothing to do with the investigation that was at hand, but they were corollaries, collateral damage, so to speak, for crimes that they had committed in other arenas, such as business or law, but not in the political uh, arena or in the sense of being conspiratorial with the Russians and the presidential campaign. So what does all this mean? Well, I'll tell you what. It means that, as Trump has been saying all along, it's a witch hunt and that he was being victimized by the Democrats. How will this end? Well, the Democrats are yelling for full disclosure. Now, they know that that's not going to happen. Come on, Camilla Harris is a prosecuting attorney from California. She knows the law, and they're just doing that for their base and for the uh, sensationalism and to try to keep some heat on the on the president and on the Republicans. And, of course, it's not going to work. And you can't reveal all that's in there. First of all, a lot of the material that was gathered was gathered through uh, uh, through special secret ways of gathering material called grand juries. 
And what is a grand jury? Well, a grand jury is a panel of people, 12 to 24 people, that's called by the jurisdiction, whether it's the city, county, state, or the federal government, to hear testimony in secret from people that the prosecuting attorney calls. Now, there's no judge in the room, and the people being questioned, they've been called into the grand jury room to be interrogated by the prosecutor, are not allowed to have a lawyer in the room. They can have a lawyer right outside the room. They can take a break and go talk to their lawyer. But the only person that is an officer of the court other than the bailiff is the prosecuting attorney. And the people that sit and listen make the decision as to whether or not there's probable cause that a crime has been committed. And if there is, then they give that okay to the prosecuting attorney and he files charges. So it's prior to even having charges filed against you. And this is secret. This is secret because that's what the Constitution of the United States says. And uh, that's what most of the states have also said, that grand juries are to be held in secret. And the purpose is that you can go on a fishing expedition without having to reveal how you got there or what you found. Now, the proceedings of a grand jury cannot be used in a court, in an open court where you're on trial. So if the grand jury found probable cause to arrest Dr. Bill for knocking over a liquor store, and some of the testimony came from one of the people that worked at the liquor store who said, well, I saw Dr. Bill there and he had a pistol in his pocket. They can't use that in court. Now, they can use that information to delve and dig deeper into the case and find out exactly what did happen. And they can call witnesses to come before an open court and testify to what they saw. But the prosecuting attorney cannot reveal what was said inside of a grand jury room. And so a lot of the information that Mueller and his team gathered was from grand jury testimony. And it's a very grueling experience because these guys are pros. They, these prosecuting attorneys, this is what they do. They do this all day and all night long. This is what they live for. They're attack dogs. They want to get in there and tear you apart and see what's inside. And they do a good job of it. And most of these guys who thought they would go up against Mueller and his team and win were wrong because they just had never experienced this level of professionalism in prosecuting attorneys. So it's a, it's a situation where if you got called in, you better make sure that your nose was clean. Otherwise, they're going to uncover things that are unrelated to the investigation at hand. But it's like if you come in my office and you say, Doc, I'm wheezing and coughing and congested. I've got a fever, and I think I'm sick and got pneumonia. And I say, okay, let's get a chest X-ray. And we get a chest X-ray, and you got a little pneumonia. But I also find uh, a one-inch nodule in your lungs. And I say, dude, uh, we're going to have to make sure this isn't a cancer. Now, I'm not going to not tell you about that. I'm going to have to reveal that to you not only ethically, but legally too, because if it is a cancer and I don't tell you and you don't get a workup and you don't get treated and you 
die, then I'm liable for your death, especially if it's a curable cancer. So the prosecuting attorneys have to do the same thing. If they come across another crime while in their investigation in the grand jury room, if there's a hint of something else going on, then they're obliged to pursue that or pass it on to the appropriate jurisdictions for the prosecuting attorneys and the police and the investigators and the FBI to look into it. So these guys have got busted and some of them are going to jail for crimes that they committed 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago were caught in this trap of the grand jury. Now the Democrats at least the lawyers in the Democratic Party, they know that these grand jury proceedings are not going to be revealed. They can't. They're secret. That's the Constitution. And that's the way it is. And so they can yell and scream all they want and make a big fuss and make it look like they're, they're trying to do their civic duty for the country and transparency and we need to see the whole thing and know what's going on. And that ain't going to happen. Now, the other aspect of it is that there's going to be classified material there. So it's not just the material, it's how the material was gathered. And if you gathered information about Cohen, and he said he wasn't in, in uh, Prague, Czechoslovakia, at the time that supposedly he met with Russian agents, and you have information about that that was garnered from the FBI or the CIA or the NSA or any intelligence agency, well, you're not going to be able to reveal that because you'll reveal how you got it. And if you reveal how you got it, you may reveal who got it for you. And, you know, we have double agents. We have secret agents here and there. We have lines of communication that we don't want to disrupt that are more important than than whether or not uh, the Democrats have their day in court, so to speak. So there's a number of items that are going to impede any real full disclosure. I think what we're going to see is a summary from the Attorney General, and he's going to say, here's the facts, and he may invite uh, the Speaker of the House and the uh, President of the Senate and the uh, leaders of the of the minority parties to come and sit down with him. And of course, they'll be sworn to secrecy. And he will probably have to be very careful as well about what is said and how it is said and whether or not people are coming into the room with hidden uh, recording devices so that they can leak this to the press. Because certainly, uh, there's going to be some unsavory aspects of this about the president or the, the uh the people that ran his campaign, and that doesn't necessarily mean that he's done anything wrong. I mean, Stormy Daniels, it doesn't matter if he had sex with her or not. That that's, <laughs> has absolutely nothing to do with his being president or colluding or not colluding with the Russians. And I'm not saying that he did. I doubt it. Uh, but if that's something that the Democrats want to hang on to and banter back and forth. I think most of the country is going to poo-poo that. And I think that in the long run, Bill and I were talking about this before the show, the Democrats are going to have egg all over their face on this. This is just not going to go well for them.
<clears throat> However, they will be able to get some fuel out of it, and there will be some other crimes and other investigations that are going to arise out of this um, witch hunt, as the president calls it. Now, you can go into the grand jury room as a witness with immunity in response to some legitimate refusal to testify based on the Fifth Amendment or in response to a deal you work out with the prosecutors and the defense attorneys uh, can work for you. And so the prosecutors can offer immunity to you for testifying, depending on things like the seriousness of the crime and and uh, how you conducted yourself. And and I think that the, the one of the best comments I heard from a former prosecutor who was on one of the talk shows, and he said that when the when the uh, interviewer asked him what his takeaway was from all of this. He says, get the best attorney you can if you're getting called before the grand jury and make sure that you stop and with each question and go out and talk with your, your attorney. You can leave the grand jury room and you can go out and you can communicate uh, with your attorney and get advice and then come back in and answer the question. Then the next question is asked and you go out and you come back in. But absolute immunity just doesn't exist because there may be a crime unrelated to this, as some of these guys found out. And they may be prosecuted for those crimes by the district attorney that is questioning them or by another jurisdiction. So we see the Southern District of New York federal a district is going to bring charges against people, and they already have against Cohen. But the immunized testimony itself can't be used in future prosecutions. So if you do testify with immunity, then that testimony is not going to be used. And what we saw with, with Mueller and his team is that they started with the little fish, and then indicted them for crimes or whatever, and then got them to roll over and talk about the bigger fish. And so they worked their way up the food chain, so to speak, and hopefully they would catch the biggest fish, which would be the president, and that just didn't work out. So it, it got stopped at intermediate fish and people who had had some or, or little dealings with the president and his campaign. And now this is what you have. You have a big to-do over nothing. So do you have a right to counsel in the grand jury room? Lawyers are not permitted to accompany clients into the grand jury room. But, again, you can go outside and talk with your attorney. He can be on standby. And that's a legitimate way to handle a situation such as this. And I think that the Democrats are going to have to do some real soul-searching about this and decide how much further they want to push it. I think that, and Bill and I were talking about this before the show, and I think you'll agree with me, Bill, I think this is going to aid the president in the long run. I think that he's going to garner some sympathy from the public, and we've already started to see the public opinion turn um, I don't know what you've heard, Bill, but uh, 
you know, it, it's it's certainly softening up from what I hear for the president. Have you heard anything, any talk? No, I haven't. Be- well, first of all, it's, it was relatively new news that uh, broke Friday, so conveniently not a whole lot of uh, chatter was made available because everybody was starting their weekend. Uh, but my theory, well, the haters are just going to keep on hating. But the people that are on the fence and, and the, the leftover, like-minded, calm, free-thinking Democrats, uh, or at least they have to take some sympathy. I don't know how else to describe that. Well, and, and you know, I think you 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 hit the nail on the head. Uh, the unemotional calm. Uh, I, I I don't think that this is a lack of intellect on the part of the Democrats. I think it's it's uh, as you're pointing out, it's an emotional response, and the uh, antithesis towards the president because of his stand on a number of social issues, on business, on taxes, um, on welfare have got them in such a tailspin that they have lost sight of the logics of the situation. And, and that's too bad. I mean, you know, you can't run uh, a party or a country or a government on emotion. It just it leads to mob rule. And that is something that we don't want here. I mean, we're Americans. We don't want mob rule. And we want everybody's uh, individual vote to count, so to speak. And that's why we have three separate branches of government. So I think that we have to be careful when we start to let our emotions get in the way. And it doesn't matter whether we're on the left or the right. Uh, we we have to stop and think clear-headedly about things. And, you know, we may be opposed to abortion. And we may have a good moral case and a good uh, uh, logic case for not having abortion on demand. But if the law says that abortion is, at this point in time, legal under the given uh, rules and regulations and circumstances that each state sets up, then uh, we, we have to respect that. And we can't go out and bomb abortion clinics. <laughs> That's just not, not the way that it works. We work back through this, through the legal system, and by appealing to people's intellect and their morals and values— and making sure that everybody understands what our argument is and why we feel that way and the the intellect behind it so that it's important that we don't let our emotions carry us away because it leads to chaos, it leads to anarchy, it leads to mob rule, and that doesn't do anybody any good. It just doesn't work very well. Well, you know, the other aspect of this is the anti-marital facts privilege. You know, the spousal uh, privilege does exist in our our system of government, and the rule prohibits one spouse from testifying against the other without the other spouse's consent. And this is old common law, and people say, well, this is kind of silly because marriage is not what it used to be. But the ideal of marriage and the sanctity of marriage is what this tries to protect. And uh, what remains of this is that the spouse uh, was incompetent as a witness for or against the other spouse uh, because of emotions involved. Either she loved or he loved the the spouse and would lie for them or uh, hated them and would also lie against them. And so that doesn't work very well. And the rule protects the harmony of the marriage, reflecting the age-old uh, dislike for the idea of convincing her a man or a woman 
to testify one way or another against their spouse. However, once you're divorced, a spouse can testify against his or her spouse. And it doesn't apply, though, where the spouse or the children are the victims of a crime carried out by the other spouse. And it doesn't apply where a marriage was entered into for fraudulent purposes, like to get someone a green card and get them into the country. That doesn't count. So those aren't considered uh, um, legitimate marriages. And this goes way back to old English law after the Normans took over. You know, the whole thing with William the Conqueror and the Normans is that prior to that, the kings had been elected. There was uh, somewhat of a Scandinavian uh, Viking flavor to how England was ruled prior to 1066. And then after that, William came in and he said, well, now that I've conquered you, everything and everyone belongs to me and I'm going to make the laws. So then the English had to start fighting and getting to the point where they had some leverage over the king and uh, it's morphed into what we have now, which is uh, ceremonial king and queen, monarchs in Great Britain, but parliament runs the show. And it should be that way. Uh, you can have a monarch as a chief executive officer. I don't have a problem with that as long as there's a legislative body involved. And of course, the the idea that you would have a lineage when the chief executive officer was the king or the queen, then you had to have some kind of a lineage. And so the marriages had to be legitimate. And the, And in order to decide who would be the legitimate heir to the throne, the legitimate marriage had to be established. And uh, this is this is what uh, Henry VIII attacked and went after. He said that these marriages should be annulled because they're, they're not legal because I didn't get a son out of it. And these are the ways that these things have evolved. They've evolved from the top down in a sense. So the marital communication privileges uh, are are sacred in our system, and they're applied to confidential communications made within a marriage. Now, this is the this is what is spoken. This is not what is seen. So, if your spouse comes home and says, "I come home and I say, you know, I knocked off this liquor store today, honey," and she says, "Oh my God, what are you thinking?" Well, she can't, without my permission, testify that I said that to her. But now, if she's sitting in the car at the liquor store and she sees me knock off the liquor store and take off with uh, several hundred dollars and, and a bottle of good Jack Daniels, then she can testify to that. So it's the it's utterances, it's what's said, it's what's spoken in the marriage and not what is seen by one spouse uh, as the other spouse is doing something wrong. So this is a, a little bit different, and uh, a lot of people don't know that. So if you're going to commit a crime, make sure that you do it when your spouse is not looking. And uh, if you don't want her to be able to testify against you or against each other, then make sure you tell them what you did in the privacy of the bedroom, and then they can't testify. So the marital communication privilege applies to confidential com communications made within a marital relationship. And it has to be confidential. 
and it has to have occurred during the marriage. So if it occurred before or after, it doesn't count, doesn't apply. And so one spouse cannot testify against the other without the other's permission. This doesn't apply to communications not intended to be private or in which the speaker intended to be uh, conveyed to a third party. So if you say it when you've had a few drinks at a cocktail party to your wife and her girlfriend's standing there, well, guess what? That's no longer privileged. And once divorced, a spouse may testify against his or her spouse. So think about it before you get that divorce. And again, if you or your children are victims of a crime perpetrated by the other party in the marriage, then that privilege does not apply and you can testify. And it doesn't apply to communications relating to present or future crimes. And it doesn't apply where a marriage was entered into fraudulently. And again, it extends only to what you say and not to any actions that you do. So if you're in the middle of committing a crime and you say something to your spouse, well, then she or he may be able to testify to that. And if you say, I'm going to blow up the Baptist church down there on 38th Avenue North, then she can go to the police and say, hey, my husband's gone crazy. He's going to blow up the Baptist church on 38th Avenue North. And then the police will come and arrest me. And when we go to trial, she'll be able to testify because it was a future crime and she was trying to prevent it. The purpose of this, again, is to protect confidence and thereby encourage communication freely between spouses without uh, being compelled to disclose what was said within the marriage and the marital bond is preserved. So the harmony of the marriage is preserved and it shows how sacred we consider marriage in our society, in our, our Anglo-Saxon Norman American way of looking at things of, of 1100 years of, of evolution of common law in our, in our country and in Great Britain and in the other countries that Great Britain has had uh, interaction with over the decades. So I, I think that that's important for us to remember. And you may have noticed that there were no wives involved in any of this testimony. And that's why, because the husband said, well, no, I don't give you permission to say anything uh, in the grand jury room or in open court about me, about anything about me, because this is all confidential between you and me and our marriage. Now, if the spouse did see the husband stealing money from the corporate kitty or the uh, campaign fund, that's different. She could testify to that. But if she just heard her husband say, oh, oh I think I've done something wrong here. I think I took this money from the campaign fund to pay off Missy Futzenbacher to keep her quiet, then the spouse can't say anything because that's an utterance made within the sacrosanct, uh, within the marital uh, relationship, which is sacred, and uh, that has to be protected and defended above all else. So that's, that's the way this is going to work. We're not going to see a whole lot come out of the 
the uh, Attorney General's office. Uh, uh, most of the report, uh, the findings will be redacted. Uh, there'll also be potential lawsuits from people who were falsely accused. And if parts of the report come out and they are uh, named and defamed and maligned and slandered and libeled, well, they're going to have a good, uh, a good uh, case for a lawsuit. Now, I'm not sure if they could sue the federal government, but they may be able to sue people that were involved in saying things about them that were not true. And we also haven't seen the last of the other side of this coin, which is that Comey and different people who were involved in what is, appears to be a conspiracy to, to uh, unseat this president illegally and who have uh, perjured themselves repeatedly in courtrooms and uh, before Congress, whether or not they will be charged. Now, my friend Al, uh, who I love, he says that he will not die peacefully unless he sees Hillary spend at least one night in jail. <laughs> and I said, well, Al, although I, I agree with you that she should, because I guarantee you the Clintons have their hand in this. They have their whole arm up to their shoulder in this doo-doo. But uh, I suspect that the deal that was made after Trump won uh, was that he would not uh, pursue prosecution. Now, that may, may not be the case with the attorney general. He may say, well, you know, I'm, I'm going after him, and uh, we'll see what happens. But I, I think it would be difficult, and uh, we don't want to besmirch the office of the president. And in that sense, even if he has some, done something horrendous uh, and criminal, uh, we want to be careful about uh, impugning the dignity, the respect, the uh, augustness of the presidential office. And, and in that regard, I would think that we would probably not want to pursue uh, criminal charges against Hillary uh, because it might involve Bill. And then you'd have the Billary back and you have Billary in prison. And that wouldn't be good. Not, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm no fan of Bill Clinton's, but uh, I do respect the presidency and the office. And I think we have to pay some homage therein, and hopefully uh, preserve the dignity and sanctity of, of that great and august office. Well, I'm going to grab a cup of joe, and uh, then when we come back, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the Democrats and their, their ideas on abolishing certain parts of the Constitution or all of the Constitution, and I'll answer questions regarding that. And I'm here for you. I'm Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. The special counsel's report on how the Russians may have tried to influence the 2016 presidential election has been given to the attorney general, and he is boiling it down to a summary of key findings today. That summary is expected to be released simultaneously to Congress and the public sometime later in the day. No one's sure exactly when that's going to happen. The chairman of the company that operates a cruise ship that got stranded off Norway's western coast in bad weather yesterday is praising the rescue operation by Norwegian authorities and the actions of the vessel's crew. The heavy weather has gotten better, and the boat is being towed into shore now. 
A poll for Thailand's first election since the 2014 coup today predicts that the few Thai party will win the most seats by a large margin, but not enough to choose the country's next prime minister. This is SRN News. Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of can care, 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. Hello, this is Dr. Bill Handelman for our good friends at Tampa Bay Imaging. TBI provides state-of-the-art MRI and CT scanning with the lowest radiation possible. Most insurance plans accepted and self-pay rates are very competitive. TBI is conveniently located in Tampa and St. Pete with evening and weekend appointments. So call TBI today or ask your doctor. In Tampa, call 813-386-3674. St. Pete, call 727-545-9674. Come on, kids. We're late. Honey, the car won't start. Mom, the dog just sat on my science project. Life can be stressful, but getting life insurance shouldn't be. That's why there's Ethos. Ethos is a modern kind of life insurance that's super fast, incredibly affordable, and very uncomplicated. At GetEthos.com, there are no medical exams for policies covering under a million dollars, no hours of paperwork or meetings with pushy representatives. It only takes 10 minutes to apply, and you can rest assured knowing you've taken steps to protect your family. And in most cases, with Ethos, you can have that peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day, with no hidden fees. Having life insurance can free you from stress. Getting life insurance shouldn't cause it. Discover how uncomplicated life insurance can be at Ethos. Get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in minutes. Just go to GetEthos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S. GetEthos.com. GetEthos.com. Thank you for making my dream a reality and publishing my very first book. Karen Notner is author of Is Jesus Your Pearl? You encouraged me, you laughed with me, and you held my hand through the entire process. Karen's publisher is Zulon Press. Do you dream about publishing? Make the dream real with America's fastest-growing Christian book publisher. Your free publishing guide is waiting at ChristianPublishing.com. Thank you so much to all the wonderful professionals at Zulon Press. Visit Zulon Press at ChristianPublishing.com. Here is your exclusive AccuWeather forecast. Mostly sunny and pleasant today, high 81. Clear to partly cloudy this evening, low 63. Taking a look at the start of our work week, partly sunny and nice for Monday, high 80. Clear skies Monday night, low 64. For Tuesday, partly sunny with a shower in places, high 77. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Madison Baggett for AM860, The Answer. I'm the judge, and I'm the jury. Make the case in a hurry. I'm the judge and the jury there, and uh, of course, that's what the Democrats would have liked to have been in this situation. They'd like to have taken total control and just said, well, he's guilty, we know it, and that's it, and the president would have been booted out of office or whatever, although I don't think that would have happened. A, A little bit of nonsense, if you ask me. At any rate, 
We're back. I'm Dr. Bill, and we're doing a radio show this morning. And I wanted to morph into the Constitution and the Democrats, at least the people on the campaign trail, and some of the people in Congress saying that they want to get rid of the Electoral College and the Senate and basically undo a lot of the Constitution because they think that it interferes with the popular vote. Now, we as a people decided at the outset of our of our republic that we wanted a representative form of government. We did not want a pure democracy because it would be too chaotic, and we wanted three separate branches of government. We did not want a parliament like England had, a constitutional monarchy, where there was one legislative body that appointed the chief executive officer and also the judges. And so we divided it up into three separate branches, judiciary, legislative, and executive. And the executive is the chief executive officer, the president, and the legislative is Congress, and the judiciary is the Supreme Court and its uh, its uh, subsequent uh, appellate courts, courts and uh, sub-courts and different jurisdictions. That includes maritime courts. That's under the Supreme Court as well. So the Constitution was adopted for three principal objectives. First was the establishment of national government under the Articles of Confederation. Everything was too weak, and uh, you couldn't really force the states to do anything. And so we had to have a national government, and that government needed to have the power to establish laws. Now, we also needed to be able to tax because people expect their government to do certain things, whether it's pave a road or... Uh, man an army, you got to pay people to do these things. They're not going to do it for free. So the second purpose was to raise taxes and provide service. And then the third purpose was to provide the services that were necessary to uh, make the country run, whether it was a post office or a road or an army, or whatever it was. So we had those three main purposes. And of course, the corollaries to that were the protection of the states and the individual rights. So in order to get some of the states to join in, uh, we had to have amendments to the Constitution because they felt it was incomplete. And George Mason uh, drew up the uh, Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments to the Constitution. There were actually 12, but the first 10 are the ones that we call the Bill of Rights. And so if you look at 12 amendments that were immediately put into place within a couple of years of the Constitution being uh, uh, agreed upon by the states, then uh, we've only had, I think, 26 amendments. So uh, a little more than 13 or 14 or no more than 14 amendments uh, have been passed in over 200 years. So it's pretty good things about the Constitution. It's pretty. Uh, it's a pretty good batting average when you uh, have less than than six amendments per decade or per century. You know, you're you're doing pretty good. That document must hold some water, and it does. Now, one of the things that it did establish was the Senate, and why did the Senate? get established. Well, Connecticut was a little state when they were holding the Constitutional Convention in 1787, and and Connecticut said, well, you know, 
why on earth should we join you if you're only going to have one house and that's the House of Representatives and that's by popular vote? You know, we won't have a say. We won't be what will be insignificant because the two big states then were New York and Virginia and Pennsylvania followed after that. And so the New Yorkers and the Virginians said, well, you know, we want a union here. We want a federal government. We want the 13 colonies to stay together. All right, well, why don't we do this? Why don't we make a senatorial chamber? And that will be um, equally represented by the state. So each state would get two senators. And that's how the Senate came about. And then Connecticut said, all right, you know, we'll go along with that. And we also want this electoral college thing. This is this is the other thing that we want. And we, we insist upon these before we will ratify the new Constitution of the United States. Now, you think we're going to give that up? Do you think that you could get two-thirds of the House and the Senate to vote to undo the Senate? I mean, do you think you could get the Senate to undo itself? I mean, that ain't going to happen. Let's just say that you did get that, and it did go to the states. First of all, you'd have to have two-thirds of, of both houses to agree to the amendment, and then you'd have to have three-quarters of the states. So you'd have to get 37 states to say that they want to give up their rights to the, to the Senate, to have an equal footing in the Senate. And the big states like California and Texas and Florida and New York, and uh, they're going to say, well, you know, it's not going to affect us a lot because we've got a big population base here. But, you know, Kentucky, Wyoming, Montana, uh, all these little states, these small populations, Connecticut, they ain't going to give up their rights. That's not going to happen. So why are the Democrats doing this when some of these Democrats are, are lawyers and they know that it's not going to happen? Well, of course, they're playing to their base. What's this say about the base? Well, either the base is extremely emotional, which it seems to be, and or it's extremely ignorant of the way our system works. So who do we want running the country? Do we want people that sit down and stop and think about what they're saying and doing before they do it and implement plans and policies that are based on the laws that we have in place? Or do we want people who are essentially saying we want a mob rule? We want the majority rule, and we think that the, the states on the coast, California, New York, and Florida, and Texas, should rule the country because they're big and they know what's best. Well, <clears throat> you know what? That ain't what we signed up for, folks. No, we're not going to have that here. Uh-uh. We're Americans, and the whole purpose of breaking away from England and getting away from Europe and Asia and all the problems and trials and tribulations that those continents have had in terms of political upheaval and uh, no personal rights, uh, which have taken a long time to fight for and have caused wars and chaos and so on and so forth, the whole purpose was that we didn't want to deal with that. We don't want to do that. We don't like that. And we're not going to do it. And it ain't going to happen. So why do the Democrats 
pump this out. Well, you know, when you're running for office, Richard Nixon said, in the primaries, you run to the right or you run to the left, and then in the general election, you run back to the middle. And, you know, there's a lot of truth to that. If you want to get the, the primary nomination, you have to appeal to the base because most people don't participate in the primaries. The majority of us do not vote in the primaries, or if we do, it's uh, certainly going to be a divided vote. And so some candidate's going to have to have a little bit more appeal than another, and that way he or she can get the nomination. And so then they'll run back to the middle. But once you plant that seed of doubt about their commitment to the Constitution, then you're weakening their support in the general election for the independents and for the more moderate and conservative Democrats or Republicans who don't go along with what the left or the right bases are saying and, and demanding. These debates aren't new. This all initially happened at the Constitutional Convention. They fought this out in the 1780s. They fought it out in the uh, in the press. They fought it out uh, on speeches, in speeches on the stump. Um, the Federalist Papers were published by, by Hamilton and Madison to try to convince the public that a strong federal government with limitations as set out by the Constitutional Convention would be the best way for us to survive. So this is nothing new. It's all been said and done before, and it crops up every so often, and it doesn't get much traction. And in order to get an amendment to the Constitution, first of all, it has to be proposed either by Congress or by two-thirds of the state legislatures. So two-thirds of the state legislatures can call a constitutional convention and can draw up the constitutional amendment and then send it to the states. And you still have to have three-quarters of the states go along with it. So, you know, two-thirds and three-quarters are different. It can also come, an amendment can come from Congress with two-thirds of both houses voting for that amendment, and then it has to go out to the states and get three-quarters vote. And again, you are not going to get the little states to go along with this. Why would they? Why would you give up your power and be overwhelmed by the mobs in L.A. or New York or San Francisco or wherever and not really have much of a say in how we're governed? And, you know, the first thing that would go would be parts of the First and Second Amendment. Of course, there would be uh, a, a restriction on free speech, and there would be gun control, because there's no better way to control a population than to disarm it. You can't argue very well when you have a rifle pointed in your face and you don't have a rifle to point back. So you, you kind of got to go along with that. So we don't want that. We don't want one party to have that power to uh, threaten and uh, beat us into submission. So it's unrealistic that we're going to get anything uh, like an amendment that would abolish these institutions. And, you know, I want some say in the national government. And I'm sure that you do, too. 
And I want to see that we have some preservation of law. And I'm sure that you do too. We didn't fight Great Britain and fight various other countries and fight within ourselves to turn around and hand all of this over to an oligarchy. And basically that's what it would be. It would be a group of socialists who think that they know what's best for us. And uh, I'm certainly appreciative of their concern for me and wanting to help me figure out what's right and wrong and how to spend my money. Uh, and I thank them in advance, but I'm not going to allow them to do that. So we want to maintain what we have. Majority rule was never the intent of the founding fathers. We were founded not only by the consent of the governed, that is you and me, but also by consent of the states. These agreements were compacts between the states. And ratification of the Constitution came from state legislatures. It didn't come directly from you or me. Now, you and me may have had a vote at that point in time to say, hey, state legislator, we want to ratify this Constitution because we think we'll be better off in the long run uh, hanging together than hanging apart. And that 13 colonies that become states in a somewhat coherent and strong federal union is much more beneficial that we can negotiate uh, tariffs and trade agreements easier. We can uh, put in roads and railroads. We can have uh, a national postal service, which was the internet of the day and so on and so forth. And we can raise an army and defend ourselves if somebody's coming after us like Hitler and the Nazis. And uh, this is important. I mean, you know, <laughs> that's why that's why we're here. Take care of each other, to defend each other, to protect each other, to help each other, to work with each other. And we need a framework within which to do it. And at the same time, we need to respect the rights of the individual. And guess what? I am an individual, and I want my rights respected because I think that I'm a good guy, and I deserve to be respected. You may not think so, but hey. That's your opinion, not mine. And so we have our Constitution. We know that the Democratic candidates are just playing to their base. There's not a whole lot of, of uh, substance there. And that the only positive aspects of the debate are to once again show the depths of dishonesty uh, that politicians will sink to in order to further their own agenda, to get elected. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there are good people in, in and I know some good people that have been in, in uh, government and have been real sincere about what they're doing, elected people. But there's also some scumbags, as we all know, on both sides of the aisle. And uh, the operative order here is they want to get elected and they want to implement what they want to implement within the framework of what they can get away with and still report back to us and be held accountable. So accountability is important. Balance of power is important. The ability to check the federal government when it gets too high-handed or the ability to call the states down when they 
refused to see the the wisdom of, for instance, giving up slavery. And uh, th these are real issues. They're nothing new. They're things that we have to continue to keep to address. And I'm just uh, I'm just ever <laughs> amused by what is said and done. I'll tell you, Bill, this is a uh, this is going to be a really interesting election cycle. I'm looking forward to hearing what the candidates say, not only in the primary, but when they get out into the into the uh, general election. I, I don't know. It's, it's going to be, uh, what do you think? You think it'll be a fun election? I guess Bill's at a, in a bathroom break. We'll find out later. So... That's my spiel for today, and I hope that you guys are having a good weekend. I uh, enjoyed talking about these things, and uh, again, I think that the Mueller, Mueller report will, will not be uh, uh, very uh, insightful because a lot of it will be redacted due to the confidential nature of the grand jury testimony as well as the uh, sensitivity to national security, and there'll also be executive privileges involved. And so we're really not going to see much, and we're just going to have to take the word of a Democratic prosecuting attorney, Mueller, who said president didn't do anything wrong, there's no conspiracy here, and the attorney general who will come through it and decide what we will and will not see, and he'll say, you know, there just isn't anything here, you have to take my word for it, and that's the end of it. And the Democrats are going to pitch a fit and moan and whine and carry on and try to find something else to uh, impeach Trump on, but um, I don't think they're going to come up with anything. The guy's uh, too well insulated. Uh, I think that he, although I'm sure he has done some things that are not all that ethical, has been cautious to avoid doing dishonest, immoral uh, actions that would get him impeached. And he certainly has been careful not to, uh, unlike Billy Clinton, to give testimony under oath that was false. Uh, that That's a quick way to get yourself into big, deep doo-doo. Well, Bill, did you hear me? Do you think that it's going to be an interesting election cycle? Oh, I want it to happen today. <laughs> Actually, I'm just interested in getting it over with, to be honest with you. <laughs> Why can't we just elect uh, Trump for another six years and, and just leave it at that right now? <laughs> just watch the heads explode like the 4th of July. Uh, yeah, well, the, you know, the, this little thing called the Constitution might get in the way, but what the heck. Did you see where the Supreme Court voted 5-4 to four to uh, uphold uh, Trump's I did to, to yeah to uh, to keep people basically corralled if they come here illegally until their cases have been sorted out. And they, Common sense prevailed. Yeah, I mean you know uh, it's just amazing uh, the hundreds of thousands of people that are just flooding across the border, and there's no will on the part of the Democrats to check this. Well, why do you have a country? I don't know. Who knows? At any rate, I hope everybody has a great weekend, and uh, I hope that we have a better understanding of how our system works because of the Mueller investigation. And remember, he's a special counsel, and he's not going to be able to extend his reach 
much further than it's already gone. So that's a good thing, and hopefully this will be put to bed, and that's the end of it. I'm Dr. Bill, your Radio MD, and we'll see you guys next week. Thank you for being with me. I'm out of here. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.